Good morning, everybody. You know, here at Cornerstone, we're a church on its way to heaven, and we want just as many people as possible to go with us. And so that's why we're excited about our mission of making more and better disciples for Jesus. And so thank you for being a part of that mission today and for helping us to try to spread the name of Jesus around Pikeville, around Pike County, and then ultimately all around the world. Uh, you know, here at Cornerstone, we try to be a church that's on top of things and that, that is up to date with what it is that people are looking for when they come to a church service. And according to, to all of the, the big church gurus right now, what people are looking for in church is that they're looking for authenticity. You know, a church that's just real and it tells you the truth and, you know, a church that's kind of down to earth. And then people are also looking for a church that helps you to reach your personal goals. A church that's authentic and helps you to reach your personal goals. And so with those two things in mind, I brought my bathroom scale with me today. And so what we're going to do, we're all going to line up here, and one at a time we're going to weigh in, because I want to check in and see how you are doing at meeting your goals from last week when you set those New Year's resolutions. What a mess that would be if we actually followed through with that one there, huh? Uh, isn't it funny that every year we all make these goals, where we claim that we're going to do lots of things. Uh, a lot of times, I think, losing weight or, or at least being healthier is somewhere up at the top of the list. And then we fail so miserably. <laughs> I think it's funny because at the end of the day, uh, I, I personally think dieting is really, really easy for the first day, right? <laughs> it's after that that things really fall apart. Uh, but it's funny because dieting really is not that, that difficult a thing to wrap your head around if you think about it. I mean, whether you buy uh, this diet book or that diet book, whether you are a part of this diet program or that one, uh, at the end of the day, all that's happening is that we're trying to make some changes to the things that we put in our mouth, Right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's really all about just being people who eat healthier, and yet we can't even make it through one day doing that, can we? Because the minute that we begin to diet, all of these physiological things and all of these emotional things take control of our body and make it almost impossible for us to actually follow through with the plan that we made for ourselves. That's why we have scales in the first place, right? So that we can once a day or once a week or once every other week or once a month, whatever your plan is, get up on the scale and have some idea of how it is we're doing at trying to reach our goals. And I believe that there is a section of the Bible that was intended to be very much like our bathroom scales. This little section of the Bible that was intended to give us a way to check in and see how we're doing in our Christian walk. And so what we're going to do here over the next couple of weeks is that we're going to uh, walk through this series called Lose the Weight. And it's our goal not really to lose weight, like as in body weight, but instead for us to let go of some of the things that seem to be holding us back as we are trying to continue our walk with Jesus. Now, uh, if you want to follow along, you can follow along in the book of Ephesians. We're going to read together from Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we hope to discover a little bit about what Paul wrote to this Ephesian church 
about how it is that we can live a life worthy of the calling that God has placed on each of us. So here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 1. It says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now let's stop there for a minute and think about just what it means for us to have been called by God. I think a lot of time when we hear that language about being called, we assume that it has something to do with a vocation. I mean, most often you hear people say that they've been called to ministry or they've been called to missions or something like that. God has put a call on their life in order that they might do this certain kind of work in a church. Or maybe you hear somebody say that they've been called to another kind of vocation outside the church. So I've been called to a life of service, and so I'm going to be a social worker, or I'm going to be a teacher, or whatever the case may be. But if you look in the Bible, when it talks about calling, it most often does not mean that kind of thing. It's not about being called to a certain vocation or profession. When it talks about us being called, it's really talking about us being called to a life that is lived in Jesus. It's not that some people in this room have been called. It's that every single person in this room has been called by God to live a life that is in Jesus. In fact, here's the way it's uh, talked about in Peter. Uh, 1 Peter, this is what it says there in uh, chapter 2 verse 9. It says, but you are not like those other folks who stumble around because they don't obey God's word. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And that's exactly what it means for us all to be called. We've been called out of a life of darkness. We've been called to live in the light of Jesus and to spread that light to the rest of the world. And so Paul writes to this Ephesians, this church of Ephesus, this church in the book of Ephesians, and he writes for the purpose of trying to convince them to actually live up to that standard, to try to live up to what it actually means to be people who have been called to live a life in the light of Jesus. And he's got a couple of ideas of how it is that we ought to measure up when we are deciding whether or not we're living a life that is worthy of that calling. Now, my original intention was to do one of those things last week and one of those things this week and one next week, and we would have three sermons in a row. But most of you know that last week I got sick and things got derailed, and so what I'm going to do is cram the first two into this one lesson. Can we do that? And hopefully next week then we'll be back on track. So here's what it says about that in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, and this is verse 2. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, 
and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. If you want to know whether or not you're on track with your diet plan, you hop on your scale. And if you want to know whether or not you're on track with living a life that is worthy of this calling to which you have been called, a life lived in Christ Jesus, then Paul says one of the first things that you need to do is you need to check your relationships. You need to check whether or not you are actually treating other people the way they ought to be treated. Now, I know why Paul is worried about this. He's worried about this because Jesus was worried about this. And I know why Jesus is worried about this, because he had met his apostles. And he knew that even they could not get along with each other very well. They were constantly arguing. And if the leaders of the church couldn't get along with each other, surely all of the rest of us are going to have a hard time getting along with each other. All you have to do is look at the church and the situation that it's in in the world today, and you can see that the church historically has had a hard time getting along with itself. I mean, there are like 300,000 different denominations spread across the globe. There are um, dozens of churches that are all meeting within five miles of us right now. Why? Because at some point in the past, we couldn't all get along with each other. No doubt Paul was worried about this. And his worries have certainly come true. I heard that you could take every theologian in the world and you could stack them end to end, you know, head to toe, head to toe, head to toe, all along the ground. And at the end of the day, that long, long line of theologians wouldn't even add up to one conclusion. And I think that's 100% the truth. We've taken the Bible, and because of our interpretations, we've made a little bit of a mess of it. And because of that, we've taken to arguing with each other. No wonder Paul was worried. It's time that churches started treating each other kindly. But it's not just about how churches treat other churches. It's also about how we, as God's people, meeting inside of this one room, treat each other as well. In fact, Paul gives a pretty difficult list of things that he wants us to do there. He wants us to be people who are humble. That's a big deal, especially in a culture that tells us that humility is the opposite of how it is that you succeed. Paul goes on to tell us not only that we should be humble, but that we should be gentle, that we should be patient with each other. Nothing is more difficult than being patient, and especially nothing is more difficult than being patient with people who you just can't stand. But Paul says that we ought to be careful to ignore other people's faults, making allowances for them as we are united by the Spirit in peace and in love. Now, I know it's tough. It's tough to do this, and yet we must. You know, there's a funny thing that happens, and I'm sure that you've seen it happen. It happens at funerals all the time. I'll go to a funeral, and while I'm there, somebody will come up to me and say, you know, our family will never be the same after this. Oh, yeah, why is that? Well, now that Grandma's dead, we'll probably never have Christmas together and that kind of stuff. She was really kind of the, the only thing that was holding us all together, you know? And maybe you've experienced that in your own families, how when one person, the patriarch or matriarch of the family dies, things kind of 
They're different, and, and people kind of separate from each other. It was that one thing that held everybody together, and now that it's gone, the people separate. And Paul is saying the same thing about the church here. He's saying if we don't keep that one thing, that one most important thing that holds us all together at the center of who we are, then there's danger that we're going to fall apart. And so he says you can't forget in verse 5 that there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism, that there is one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. It's that one thing that holds us all together, folks. And we've got to keep it at the center of who we are, that one God who did everything to change the world for us. If you want to know how it is that you're doing on your weight loss journey, you hop on a scale. And if you want to know how it is that you're doing in this journey to try to be more like Jesus, the place Paul says you ought to start is by asking yourself, how am I doing treating other people? Okay, here's the second place that Paul goes with this, beginning in the next verse there, verse 7. He says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Not only should we, should we be concerned with how it is that we're treating other people, but the Bible says that we also should be concerned with how it is that we're using the gifts that Jesus has given us. Now, after talking about these gifts, Paul quotes a psalm. And then after quoting the psalm, he has to explain why it is that this psalm matters. And so he talks about how this psalm describes God descending into the earth, and giving gifts to his people after having ascended back into heaven. It's kind of complicated, and you read this, and you're like, what is he talking about? But the description that he gives clears things up. And so here's what he says in the next verses. He says, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ has already descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. In other words, what Paul says is that these gifts that Jesus gives his church are based on a much bigger set of graces that he gives the church. Jesus leaves his throne in heaven and he descends to the earth to be like all the rest of us. And after conquering death and putting sin in its place, Jesus then ascends back into heaven. And because he has now defeated all the things that hold us back, he is able to give us these great gifts, which we can now use in order to make the church and the world a better kind of place. Because he descended, he can ascend, and he can give us these gifts. And so here are the gifts that Paul says Jesus has left the church. This is verse 11. The apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like this list is a little bit difficult to keep in my brain, and it's partly difficult because this list is made up of a bunch of different ideas that we kind of all cram together. We sort of cram them together because we have typically in each church two, three, four, five people who do a little bit of all of these things. And we don't really treat them as though they're separate kinds of gifts. 
but certainly that's how they began. And so let's talk about each of these and see how it is that these are beneficial to the church. The first uh, gift that Paul says Jesus gives the church is that he gives the church apostles. Now, an apostle is just somebody who acts like an emissary, like a missionary, who goes from one place to the other and tells them about Jesus. But in the case of the early church, these apostles did something that was pretty special. In order to be an apostle in the New Testament, you had to be a person who had witnessed Jesus with your own eyes after he had raised from the dead. And so these apostles weren't just people who were going around and preaching. These were people who were going around and preaching something that they had seen with their own eyes. And so as eyewitnesses, they were really important to getting the news about Jesus out into the world. Well, in addition to those apostles, it says that Christ has left the church prophets. Now, a prophet is simply somebody who speaks on God's behalf. And prophets were incredibly important in the early church because in the earliest days of the church, we had no New Testament. And because we couldn't look at the New Testament for answers about who Jesus is and what he wants in the world, we needed prophets who were able to tell us what it was that God hoped. Now, in addition to those apostles and prophets, the Bible says that Christ has given evangelists for the church. An evangelist is just somebody who spreads the good news about Jesus and shares his gospel. <coughs> and then, of course, there are the pastors. Now, we use that, pastor, that word pastor to mean something like somebody who does my job. And that's what we mean by that most of the time, right? But that's not actually what they meant in the Bible when they said pastor. Only sort of. What they meant in the Bible when they talked about a pastor was someone who was given the responsibility of caring for a church. It was somebody who was given the responsibility, and typically in every church there were a number of them, these elders, who were given the responsibility of taking care of the church and making sure that it was successful and safe, especially from false teachers who might make a mess in it. And then finally, the Bible says that Christ gives us teachers. People who have the responsibility of helping people to understand Jesus better. Well, that's the list that you read about in the book of Ephesians. And you might look at that list and say to yourself, well, I'm not really any of those things. I'm not really a pastor or a prophet or I'm not really an evangelist. I'm not really an apostle. So what is it that Christ has given me to do inside the church to make it better? What's my special gift? Well, if you go to look at other places in the Bible, what you'll discover is that that list is not always the same. Even Paul himself, when he gives this list to other churches, he changes it around just a little bit here or there. And so, as a matter of fact, let me read to you what he says about this um, list when he writes to the Corinthians. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to start reading to you in verse 27. He says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, there are apostles. Second, there are prophets. And third, there are teachers. Now, up to this moment, the list sounds exactly the same, right? But it's about to get different. Here's what it says. Then there are those who do miracles. Then there are those who have the gift of healing. 
Then there are those who can help others. Then there are those who have the gift of spiritual leadership. And then there are those who speak in unknown languages. Now, you might be saying to yourself, I don't do miracles. And I don't speak in weird tongues that I've never learned before. And I don't have the ability to interpret tongues. And maybe I'm not much of a leader. So what gift really is it? That's my gift that Jesus has given me that I can use to make the church a better kind of place. And I think the answer lies in what Paul says next, in the very next verses. He says, are we all apostles? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer, of course, is no, we are not. Are we all prophets? No. Are we all teachers? No. Do we all have the power to do miracles? No. Do we all have the gift of healing? No. Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? No. Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not, he says. Now, if you pay attention and go back and look, Paul went through every single gift on that list that he gave and said, we don't all have that. We're not all that. Nope, that doesn't describe us all. He went through every single thing on the list except one of the gifts. Did you pay attention to which one it was? There's only one gift he left out, and it was this one. Those who can help others. Oh, we might not all be prophets, and we might not all be apostles, and we might not all have the ability to do miracles, but we can all help each other. And in fact, he ends that whole section of Scripture by saying this, so you should desire earnestly the most helpful gifts. But now, let me show you a way of life that is the best of all. And then he goes on to spend an entire chapter talking about how important love is. If you want to know how it is that you're doing on your weight loss journey, you step on a scale. And if you want to know how it is that you're doing in your journey of trying to live up to the calling that Jesus has placed in your life, you need to check and see how it is that your relationships are functioning. And secondly, you need to see whether or not you're actually using the gift that God gave you to make the church better. And if you don't know what your gift is, then I'm willing to bet it has something to do with helping other people. Now, it's at the end of all of this that Paul lets us in on why these gifts really are so important, about why it is that these things really matter to the church. You can read about that in Ephesians 4, verse 12, where he says the responsibility of all these people who have these gifts is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Why is it that God gave gifts to the church? Also that the people with gifts could equip the other people so that they could use their gifts to equip other people so that they could use their gifts to equip other people who equip other people who equip other people who equip other people. 
The whole point of this is that we're all supposed to be working together to make each other closer to Jesus as we work together for the good of his cause. I heard a story about this fellow. He went to his bathroom and he was standing there on his scale. And his wife comes in and notices that as he's standing there looking at himself in the mirror, standing on that bathroom scale, that he's sucking in his gut as much as he can, you know? And she laughs at him and says, it does not matter how much you suck in that gut, that number on that scale is not going to change. She said, what you're doing is a big waste of time. And he said, oh, no, it's not a waste of time at all because the only way that I can see those numbers is if I suck it in. <laughs> now, now, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. If I really were to have every person in this room come up here one at a time and stand on this scale, and we were all to make a big public record of what it is that you weigh, it would be an awful, miserable, embarrassing thing, and none of you would ever come back to church again. However, if you did, you probably would do better toward your goals. Because accountability really does help. And that's exactly what these verses in the book of Ephesians were intended to do for those people in the church of Ephesus. It was just a reminder. A reminder of what the basics of our faith really are. A reminder that if we are going to be people who are called by Christ to live like Him, then we have got to be people who are doing our very best to keep our relationships in check and to be people who are using our gifts to make the kingdom better. So I hope today that we can be a church who does those two things exactly in this new year and for eternity. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, <laughs> he took some bread and blessed it. He broke it and he shared it with his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. That same night, he took the cup and he poured it out. He blessed it and shared it with all of his friends and said, Drink this, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the sins of the world. And so today, we're going to do exactly what our Lord Jesus asked us to do. We're going to eat some bread and drink some juice in order to remember him, Jesus, who left his throne in heaven to be just like us, who conquered sin and death on the cross, and who rose from the grave, ascending to heaven so that he could leave us with the greatest of gifts, not only the chance of an eternity spent with him, but also the opportunity to join him as partners as he makes this world a brand new kind of place. And so today, we remember Jesus. Let's eat and drink together.